This is the first of seven stories from Wendy Robertson's new collection, Siblings, narrated by Anne Dover. Bram, 1922, January the 22nd. British troops roll over Dublin's cobbled streets and take up positions on the docks and market areas. So, there is this man in our front room. Our D whispers in my ear that he's this big man from the pit. He's sitting on the horsehair sofa talking to our ma'am. His flowing tweed coat unbuttoned and his white silk muffler tight around his neck. Our ma'am is sitting on the music stool in front of the harmonium on which, each night after we've gone to bed, she practices for the Sunday services. She plays at Sunday services on Sunday mornings at our own chapel and at the Welsh chapel at Chilton at the evening service. She makes us go to the services at our own chapel, but we don't have to bother with the Welsh chapel where the words are all jumbled up. It's not jumbled for ma'am, of course, her being proper Welsh. Our Ewan does go there, as she always clings to ma'am and is a bit daft that way. But at least she gets to speak a bit of Welsh, so that's probably a good thing. Anyway, here now in our front room is this big man in the big court. We're all here, even though we're never normally allowed in the front room. Mostly, we're just in the kitchen and the scullery. The front room is for best. But now, here we are. Me, Ewan and our Dee, whose Scottish name is Deirdrach. Our Adairin, whose Welsh name means bird, but round here they call it Ada, which means nothing. We are all sitting on the chairs lined up against the back wall. Breedlin, whose Welsh name means helper, but round here they call her Bree, and our young Evan are sitting cross-legged in front of the fire. Well, Mrs Angus. The man's voice sounds like a kind of whispery roar. We know your lad Bram is a good scholar. Your Jimmy's friends tell us that. Ma'am nods, her eyes wary at the mention of our Dar's name. She sits up straighter on the stool. Our Bram passed the school leaving certificate when he was twelve, and they let him leave school then. She speaks in English, but her words swim up and down in that Welsh way. The big man crosses his legs and leans back on the horsehair sofa, which creaks. Like I say, a clever lad. They tell me that he's working in that tailor shop on the high street. He raises his eyebrows. Ma'am nods. She's proud of our Bram. Yes, she says. He's apprenticed to the clerk there. Only got the job, look you, because he's a good scholar. Mm-hmm. He grunts. No pay like. He'll start on a wage on Boxing Day. Mam's lips close tight together. Tight. He strokes his bristly chin. 
That was maybe, Mrs. Angus. He pauses. The ticking of the clock on the mantelpiece is very loud. Then he coughs. <coughs> Your uh, Jimmy did well down the pit, didn't he? Got to be deputy when he was not much more than a lad. That was before he volunteered, like in fourteen. He pauses. Then he looks around at us, one by one. I shrink back. And left you with seven bairns to keep. Her eyes, cold as ice now, look him up and down. He glances around our front room with the clock on the mantelpiece and the bulky harmonium bought second-hand for her by my granda, so she would play in the services in his Welsh chapel. After my da died in the war, he sent us a bag of pairs of boots left over from his spare time job as a cobbler. All boys' boots, of course. Me, I refuse to wear them, although our dee loves hers and wears them when she goes out to play chasey and football with the lads. Now here in the front room, the big man coughs and nods his head. <laughs> well, uh, like, uh, I have instructions from Mr Stevenson uh, to talk to you about all this. Bree's voice tickles my ear. Mr Stevenson's his big boss at the pit. The man's thick fingers stroke his bristly chin again. Well, Mrs Angus, it's three years now, isn't it, since we lost Jimmy and all our other lads? And we see, even now, that Jimmy's a big miss to you as well as the pit. He pauses and examines his fingernails. But in these years since the war, haven't you had this colliery house in this fine row? He looks again around the bright front room. And, of course, the coal for your fire. A dark cloud settles now around us. He coughs. <coughs> uh, well, Mrs Angus, it boils down to this. Mr Stevenson says I should explain that this talk of new men coming up from Cornwall to fill the gaps left in the workforce by the war and the houses, only granted to work in miners, are needed for their families. Ma'am sighs very loudly, and I want to cry. Then she puts her hands together as though she's praying, and looks around the room. You want us out, then? The big man coughs yet again. <coughs> well, maybe that won't quite be necessary, Mrs Angus. He surveys us one by one. How old is your oldest again? The one that works at the tailors. Our Bram will be fourteen next Monday. Well then, there's a solution to your problem. The lad's fit enough to work in the pit, isn't he? Then he'll be your working miner, so you can keep your house and your coal. And being a clever lad, 
He won't start at the very bottom. The big man stands up, rebuttons his top coat, and reties his muffler. So, you'll think about this, Mrs. Angus. She hauls herself to her feet and turns towards the front door. Like the front room, it's rarely used. The last time it was used was when an officer in DLI uniform brought the letter from the army to say how brave Awadar had been and how the king was proud of him. I was only seven then, but I remember it like it was yesterday. Now the big man shakes Mam's hand and looks her in the eye. Come Monday, I'll get Tab Smith, who worked marrows with you and Jimmy, to call here for your lad at half five sharp. Tab'll take him in by and make sure he gets to know the ropes from the start. Mam tries to pull her hand away, but he clutches it more closely. It's the only way, Mrs Angus. It's for the best. You know it, and I know it. She slams the door behind him and stands with her back to it, her eyes glittering and her teeth clenched. We know that look. We begin to melt away through the middle door and make our way through the kitchen, through the scullery and down the backyard. We race out onto the green behind the houses where Bree has a store of clay, which we can make into beads and buttons to bake them on a tray in the oven. At eight o'clock, my brother Bram marches down the yard in his shiny black shoes and leaps straight upstairs to hang up his white shirt, his jacket and his black trousers. He comes down in bare feet, wearing an old shirt, and sits at the kitchen table, on the end of which Mam has spread a white cloth. Bram sits down and bends his long, gangly body over the table, his mop of black hair fallen over his eyes. The rest of them have shiny black hair like Mam's, all except me, that is. My hair is rusty red like my da's. My mam told me once not to worry about that, as the queen of the Iceni had red hair and she was a brave woman. Bram grins across at Ada and me, his white teeth flashing. In front of him on the table is his meat and potato pie. It was made by Ada, who is now Mam's right-hand woman in the house. She gets to stay off school on a Monday to help Mam with the washing and on Wednesdays for the ironing and bacon. Bram spears his fork into the crisp golden pastry. Mam stands watching him, her back to the roaring fire, her arms folded. The rest of us, all six of us, are scattered around the room in our nightclothes. Bree is sitting on a wooden cracket, her hands busy with her knitting needles. Deirdre is leaning on the window sill, humming a tune. Evan is leaning against the fire guard at Mam's knees, and our Erwin is staring dreamily out of the window. Bram grins across at Mam. Real good, these taties, Ma. Has Uncle Davy been over? 
he wipes his mouth with the back of his hand. At last, he notices the silence in the room and turns to cast his eye over each of us. Eventually, he looks at Mam and smiles his sweet smile. Now, Mam, I was wondering what you're going to give us for me birthday. Is it a secret? She shakes her head, her eyes cold. The pit, Bram. Your birthday present is the pit. On the Monday, all of us except Dee are watching for Bram to come home from the pit. Dee is off with some lads down in the woods because her mate Bobby Van says he's seen them dancing down there. The rest of us hear the snack on the back gate click and we watch as Bram comes down the yard. His brow and his chin are as black as his hair. His jacket and shirt are grey with coal dust. When he sees us, his white teeth gleam in his face. We are prepared. Bree has hauled in the tin bath from the yard. Bree has filled it with hot water, using the long-handled ladle to dip into the boiler beside the fire. Mam has set the big clothes horse around the bath and draped sheets over it. For Bram's modesty-like. Evan's job is to be at the ready to scrub his brother's back with soap and the rough flannel. We can hear the boys laughing and talking behind the makeshift screen. Then we watch as Bram's clean shirt and his trousers vanish from the clothes horse. And so, before our eyes, he emerges from his tent, his face shining and clean, except for the glamorous black lines around his eyes. He sits down at the table opposite Mam, who is ladling rabbit stew onto a plate for him. She nods at him, her face bland. Well, son, she says. How was the pit then? Postscriptum. So there you are. Our Bram worked down the pit from when he was 14 until he was 62 years old. In that time he made good progress up the complicated professional pit ladder. Like our dad Jimmy, he became a deputy at a young age. And in the following years, he became a great expert on the intricacy of the seams of coal and the mines that crisscrossed the underworld of County Durham. Interestingly, some of them have women's names such as Beamish Mary, Ravensworth Betty and Emma. Others have historic names like Ladysmith. Others are named for places like Newton Cap, Princess Street Drift, Throssell Gill and Hole in the Wall. It all remained poetry to him. The world underground the green surface of our county was his universe. All his life he was driven to talk about this world to whomever would listen. Our Bram truly was a good scholar and his university was the pit. 
1922, February the 16th. Unemployment now over one million, including 348,000 ex-servicemen. You have been listening to Bram, the first of seven stories from Wendy Robertson's new collection, Siblings, narrated by Andover, and brought to you by Damselfly Books.